Uh, welcome to Bayview Glen Church. My name is Lucas Cooper. I'm lead pastor here. It's great to have you here this morning with us. If you're uh, new with us, glad to have you. If you're visiting, if you've uh, not been to church in a while or this first time to uh, church, especially glad that you're here. For those of you who uh, I see on a week-to-week basis, it's great to see your smiling faces this morning. I know Dave already welcomed you, but just um, just want to welcome you myself. It's great to to see you. Um, Last week we began our Christmas series. Our Christmas series is called Thread and kind of here's our here's our concept uh, for this whole series. Most of us tend to look at the Bible. Uh, More specifically we tend to look at the Old Testament and also the New Testament as well as kind of a collection of stories that establish God's moral code for us and set his expectations for us and what that leaves us with is a God who's ultimately most concerned about modifying our behavior such that we live up to his expectations. There's a couple of problems with that. Number one, that's not any fun for us. Uh, number two, most importantly, that's not really an accurate view of God, of who God is. Uh, however, the Bible is not a collection of stories with moral lessons attached to each of them. Rather, the Bible is a single grand narrative that tells the story of God's redemptive work in history. To use the analogy that we've been using for the last couple of weeks, the Bible weaves together a unified and beautiful tapestry of God's gracious plan for redemption, God's gracious work in history. And there's a common thread that runs through that tapestry and connects each piece of it, and that common thread is Jesus, and he runs through God's tapestry of grace from creation all the way up to the omega, which is the end of all things, when all things will end up in the embrace of God. Jesus is the common thread that connects every movement of God. So last week, here's where we started. We started in the beginning. Hopefully you remember that. And God created the world with shalom. That is to say that God created the world the way things ought to be. The way that God created it, it was unified. It was peaceful. There was harmony. There was a coexistence together in all things. And God's shalom was evident in the first family. It was evident in Adam and Eve. It was evident in creation. It was evident in the way humanity interacted with one another and interacted with God. But when humanity rebelled, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled, that shalom was fractured and the world began to dissolve into what it ought not be. And we saw our common thread appear for the very first time in a pre-incarnate Jesus who was God and who was with God in the beginning and he was active in creation. And we saw that even from the beginning, God promised that that Jesus who was God and with God in the beginning would become incarnate, who would become flesh, become a man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time in order to restore God's shalom. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to look at a specific movement of God in which God begins to restore a critical piece of what was fractured when Shalom broke down. That breaking of Shalom, the fall of man, it has a ripple effect, it has consequences, it has impact, and that impact is far-reaching. In fact, that's why we sing joy to the world at Christmas time, and it's got that lyric in it, far as the curse is found. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That curse of sin has far-reaching consequences, and one of the most important things that it has fractured for us when God's Shalom broke was our identity. Our identity, who we are at our very core, how we understand ourselves was ruptured when Adam fell. And God's redemptive plan includes restoring our true identity. 
So here's what I want to do. First, I want to show you where identity, our identity, initially came apart in Genesis chapter 3. And then I want to talk about a couple of modern examples of how we see those consequences even today. How we see identity, personal identity, break down. Then, we're going to talk about God's plan for restoring our identity. A plan that begins with a man named Abraham and finds its completion in Jesus. Then we'll talk a little bit about what that means for you and me today. Sound good? Good. All right, so let's start with where our identity collapses in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. The scripture, as always, is up here on the screen. We're going to start in verse 7. So remember, here's what happens. God creates with shalom, creates the way things ought to be. Adam and Eve rebel and break shalom, and here's what happens immediately after Adam and Eve's rebellion. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it's up here on the screen. It says, then the eyes of both, they're talking about Adam and Eve here, God's talking about Adam and Eve, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Does everybody see what's happening here? Adam and Eve are hiding from one another. Shalom is broken, so now they're ashamed. They've sewed loincloths for themselves out of fig leaves. They're hiding from one another. Keep going. It says, and then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now, this is funny to me. This is like playing peekaboo with my daughter, right? She's 15 months old, she covers her face, and she thinks, I can't see her, okay? They're hiding from God. You understand what's happening here? Apparently, apparently sin makes you stupid too, but that's beside the point. Okay, so he, this is, this is, is this not dumb what they're doing here? They're hiding in the trees that God made. This is not gonna work out well. So they hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, keep reading, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That's not God's voice. That's not how he sounds, but he says, where are you? And and man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Watch his identity break down now. Watch it. And I was afraid because I was naked. And I what? I hid myself. Friends, I don't think that we quite realize all the time the impact of what's going on here. I don't think that we grasp the gravity of what's going on here. This is much more than just body image problems, okay? This is a case of fractured identity. Adam and Eve were originally created without sin, and consequentially, they were without shame. For that reason, they were able to live in full disclosure, no masks, No hiding, either literally or figuratively, completely in touch with and aware of their own identity as God's created image bearers, loved and accepted by him. Can you imagine feeling that way, by the way? Just kind of a side note. Can you imagine feeling that way about your body, about your soul? Watch this, and this will blow your mind. Can you imagine feeling that way about your past? Loved by God, accepted by him. No shame, no hiding. Can you imagine feeling that way about your affections, your emotions, your dreams, your habits? Can you imagine feeling that way about the deepest longings of your soul? Completely accepted and completely acceptable, loved, wanted, cared for, embraced. 
Adam and Eve had that. They had it. Total openness and honesty, total acceptance, no shame, no hiding, an undivided identity. But sin fractured that, and suddenly there was an identity crisis. Uh, To be more accurate, this was a total breakdown, not just a crisis, but a total breakdown in identity. And that disintegration of identity caused them to hide from one another. They sewed fig leaves together in order to conceal themselves. And it caused them to hide from God by tucking themselves beneath the trees of the garden. In fact, to make sure that we get it, to make sure that we understand what's going on here, the Bible repeats that phrase twice. They hid themselves from God. So rather than complete disclosure, they retreated into shame. Rather than awareness and freedom, they hid. Rather than connection and intimacy with God and one another, their sin ruptured their identity and forced them into darkness. And this disintegration of identity and its consequences continue through each page of human history, and we see the impact even today. Let's talk about a couple of places that we see that. Let's talk about Caitlyn Jenner. You can talk, you can call Caitlyn Bruce or him or her. It doesn't matter what pronoun you use. It doesn't matter to me. Here's what's happening there. No matter what you think about Caitlyn Jenner, there most definitely is, or at the very least, has been an identity disintegration, hasn't there? A withholding, a suppressing, a hiding of true identity. That hiding has its roots in the fall of man. I was reading an article this week uh, about a gal named Ellen Page. You might know who Ellen Page was. She was in a movie called Juno. She's a Canadian-born actress. She began her Hollywood career when she was 16 years old. And in this interview, Ellen Page was talking a little bit about the fact that she kind of survived a Hollywood childhood, whereas a bunch of her peers did not survive a Hollywood childhood. If you watch TMZ, you know. Okay, so here's what she... Here's what... I don't watch TMZ, by the way. Okay, but here's... Here's what Ellen Page says about some of her friends and and peers that didn't survive a Hollywood childhood. And I quote, I think the thing that happens to a lot of kids is all their identity and their self-worth is attached to it, meaning acting. And I think that obviously that'd be dangerous for anyone. Well, of course it would. Of course it would. It's a fractured identity, a ruptured identity, and they're trying to find their identity in something else, something that's not sustainable. Enough about others. Let's talk about us. How about the identity crises that you and I endure in life? Anybody else have a middle school identity crisis? Middle school identity crisis? I had one. It continues even today. It's great. Um, How about a midlife crisis? Or codependent relationships where our our identity kind of ebbs and flows based on someone else's behavior. Or workaholics that find their identity in vocation. Or perfectionists that find their identity in performance. These are common identity breakdowns, common ways that we conceal ourselves from others and from God. and, And it causes us to hide, hide from the world around us again, hide from God, whatever, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve. Or what about this? What about the way that sin causes us to hide? Now, you might not think, well, sin doesn't cause me to hide. Yes, it does. Let me ask you a very simple question. And I'll prove to you that sin causes you and I to hide from God. When you sin, when you do something wrong, or when God prescribes something that you ought to do and you don't do it, when you sin, when you say no to his master plan, when you say no to his commands, 
What is your initial knee-jerk reaction? Do you run to God or away from him? Do you want to go to him and pray and talk to him about it, or do you want to run away from him? Does it cause you to run to confession or run away from it? Does it cause you, does sin cause you to want to talk to God more or less? Most often, sin causes us to run away from God. It drives us away from God. And we, just like Adam and Eve, try to hide from God. This is all a result of fractured identity. We begin to believe lies like, I am not loved by God. I am not created in his image. I'm not treasured by him. I'm not acceptable. So we run and hide behind anything that might offer shelter. But God wants to bring us out of hiding and out of shame. And he knows that in order to do that, he's got to get to the root of the problem. And what's the root of the problem? A fractured identity, a broken down identity, a misplaced identity. So in the Old Testament, we watch God begin to put a plan in motion to restore our identity as his loved and accepted image bearers. Okay, so track with me here now. Genesis 12 records that God called a man named Abram away from his homeland into a land that God would determine. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes his first promise to Abram to provide him a son, an heir, through which God would bless all nations. And Abraham, or Abram attempted to kind of co-opt God's plan and expedite the process, and that was not a good idea, but God was still gracious. God still fulfilled his promise to Abram. So if you're in Genesis 3, flip a couple of pages to the right, if you would, to Genesis chapter 17. And we're going to read this story about God fulfilling his promise to Abram. Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 1. The scripture reads this way. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant. There's the promise, making a promise to Abraham between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Keep reading. Then Abram fell on his face, right response when it comes to God, by the way. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He's 99 years old, no children. This is kind of an audacious claim on God's part. Abram means exalted or noble father. Abraham means father of multiple nations. So look what happens. No longer shall your name be called Abram. See it? But your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. What's happening here? God is giving Abraham a new name. A new identity. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that names in scripture don't just represent what you call somebody. It represents their purpose, their destiny, their character, all that they are. God is replacing Abraham's old identity and giving him a new identity. And he intends to offer that same restoration of identity to all nations. Keep reading. Verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, so promise to Abraham, and I will make you into nations, plural, and kings, plural, shall come from you. Keep reading verse seven. <coughs> Excuse me. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Those words kings and nations are plural because God intends to include all nations in this covenant. In fact, in God's original promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, God makes it very clear that he intends to include all nations in this promise to Abraham. So not only is this new identity for Abraham, but it's those who would come after him and experience that same blessing. And that new identity for all nations would come through Abraham's offspring, his one and only son, Isaac. And though Abraham and his wife Sarah were well beyond childbearing years, I think we can all agree that 99 is well beyond childbearing years, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and gave him a son named Isaac. But in Genesis chapter 21, God instructs Abraham to do something that would have shocked him. He instructs Abraham to sacrifice his only son. It's up here on the screen, Genesis 21. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We don't know what Abraham was thinking. We don't know what Abraham was feeling when God gave him these instructions. We can only guess. Bewilderment, shock, fear, anger, doubt, confusion, probably all of those things. But Abraham by faith, led his son, the promised son, the heir, through which God intended to bless all nations. By faith, Abraham led him up Mount Moriah in order to carry out God's instructions. And just before the father's own hand plunged down to sacrifice his only son, God spoke again. It's up here on the screen. Abraham, Abraham, And Abraham said, here I am. God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God intervened. He stopped Abraham's hand. God provided a substitute Abraham and Isaac noticed that a ram was caught in the thicket, and so together, Abraham and Isaac offered a substitute sacrifice. Now stick with me here. About 2,000 years later, God would fulfill another promise and send his only son, Jesus, to restore what was lost in the fall. At the outset of Jesus' ministry, Jesus journeyed into the wilderness to be baptized by his cousin, John. And just before Jesus' baptism, that same God that spoke to Abraham, same God, spoke again just before Jesus' baptism and said this, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Just as we saw John last week in John chapter 1, verse 1, use those words in the beginning to point us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where the author of Genesis uses the words in the beginning. These words point us back to the language that God uses of Abraham and Isaac. I've even put these, words on, these verses on the screen together. The verse on top is God's words to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. It's God's words to Abraham. This is God's words about Jesus. This is my beloved son 
with whom I am well pleased. This is the exact same language. This is my son whom I love. The similarity here is no accident. God wants us to see the mission and message of Jesus through the lens of his promise to Abraham. He wants us to know that the Jesus thread appeared in his tapestry of grace in the story of Abraham and Isaac. God's words about Jesus here at his baptism were and are about identity now. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was the son of God, loved by the father, accepted and acceptable, pleasing to God, totally aware of his own identity and completely confident in his mission and message as a result. He was the beloved son in whom God was well pleased. And this identity was foundational to every moment of Jesus' life. Uh, One of my favorite uh, authors and Bible scholars, a guy named Philip Yancey, even suggests that Jesus was confident to go to the cross because that moment at his baptism when God spoke his identity and affirmed his identity. Jesus was well aware, though they slay me, I am loved, accepted, and well-pleasing, the Son of God. And three years after his baptism, a different father would lead a different son up a different hill. God would lead his son, Jesus, up a hill called Calvary, just as Abraham led his son, Isaac, up a hill called Moriah. But this time, the father's hand did not stop. This time, there would be no substitute ram to step in. Jesus was, in fact, the substitute. The perfect lamb of God, the beloved son who accepted the wrath that was meant for us, And stood in our place. And it's in this way that we see the Jesus thread surface again in God's redemptive story. Through Abraham and Isaac. The father, the son, the sacrifice. All to restore our identity. Now, you might be thinking, wow, Luke, this is a stretch, buddy. (laughs) This is a little bit of a stretch. You're doing some pretty serious exegetical gymnastics with the scripture here. You're telling me that 2,000 years before Jesus, God began, began his redemptive work through Abraham in order to restore our identity. And you're telling me that Abraham and Isaac prefigured God the Father and God the Son. That seems like you're, 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 you're twisting and turning a little bit too much for me. And that would be true, it would be, Unless you read Galatians chapter 3, it's up here on the screen, starting in verse 7. Watch. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's New Testament now. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. You see it? The good news about a new identity, about restoration, about God's plan for redemption communicated to Abraham and even through the scripture 2,000 years before Jesus showed up on the scene and another 2,000 before you and I showed up on the scene saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Where does Jesus come in? Verse 6. Here we go. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a, becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who, ha- who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's me, in case you're wondering. So that we might receive the promised spirit 
through faith. That's pretty cool. God's redemptive plan. God's story of restoration beginning with Abraham and completed in Christ. So here's what this means for you and me. Here's what this means for you and me. Though humanity's rebellion fractured our identity, our identity, God, in his sovereignty and grace, instituted a plan to restore that identity. Just as Abraham was blessed with a new identity, the plan of God is not simply to bring us out of hiding, but to graft us in to that promise, that covenant that that he made with Abraham, to give us a new identity, to call us his own sons and daughters in whom he is well pleased. No longer in sin, no longer in shame, no longer in hiding, new creations loved by God, accepted and acceptable. And how did he do that? By sending his son, his only son, whom he loved, to be a sacrifice on our behalf. And now we are crucified with Christ and risen to new life and new identity in him. That's why Galatians 2.20 says, for I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I've got a new identity. The life I live now, I live in faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is why 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, it says, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. You have a new identity. The old is past, the new has come. Here's what this means. It means in Christ, I have a new identity. Say that with me. In Jesus, I have a new identity. One more time. In Jesus, I have a new identity. So no longer is our identity fractured. No longer do we need to search in vain for a place to find an identity. God, in his grace and sovereignty, in his master plan for redemption, has grafted us into a covenant that he established 4,000 years ago in order to restore our identity. And what's that new identity? It's the same one that Jesus had because now we're in Jesus. We're his beloved child, well-pleasing to God. It means that in Jesus, I am God's beloved child in whom he is well-pleased. In Jesus, I am God's beloved child in whom he is well-pleased. I'm going to show you this all over the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we're adopted into God's family First John, all over the place, says that we're children of God. Jesus himself says that we can call God Daddy. That's what Abba means, because we're his children. That's why we call each other brothers and sisters around here, because we have a common heavenly father. We are God's beloved children with whom he is well pleased. That passage that we read in Galatians chapter 3 concludes this way. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. You are his children, son or daughter, with whom he is well pleased. Now, can you imagine this? No more working to please God. No more seeing the Bible as a set of do's and don'ts in order to make myself acceptable. But understanding that Jesus was and is the son of God in whom God is well pleased. And since I am in Jesus, that's my new identity too. A son or a daughter of God. Now let me give you a picture of what this looks like and we'll be done. It's up here on the screen. This picture 
was taken. I, can, I always look at this and I, I imagine my daughter going, does this sweater make me look fat? Um, she looks like a, like a chipmunk storing up nuts for the winter there. Um, so this picture was taken on a very important day for our family, for me and Amy and our little girl, Kaya. This was Kaya's adoption finalization day. So when children are born, uh, adopted children are born, technically they become wards of the state. And prospective adoptive parents, that was me and Amy, we were given custody of her uh, the day she was born, uh, the day after uh, she was born when we left the hospital. And then after like three to six months, like you show up in court again and they make sure like the baby is still alive and growing and happy and all that stuff. And then the court finalizes the adoption and that child officially becomes ours and we officially become, became her parents on this day. This photo actually was taken Two minutes after that moment in our family, when, adop- when Kaya's adoption was finalized. And among other things, that day, Kaya got a new name. When she was born, she had her birth mother's last name. We love her birth mother. We love her birth father very, very much. I was telling Amy yesterday, I miss them. I want to go visit them. They're wonderful people. And she was born with her birth mother's last name. But on this day, she got a new name. She became a Cooper. She had a new identity, no longer a child that we're caring for, no longer or not a charity case in any stretch, a beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. You want a dollar's worth of free advice, just real quick? Ask, ask an adoptive parent if, if they ever plan on having their own kids. Like, that's a bad idea, okay? Like, that's my kid, all right? Like, I know what you mean. Like, you can ask if we plan on having biological children. You're welcome to ask that. But that's, that girl's not a charity case. That's a Cooper. Ask God if he ever plans on having his own kids. Yeah? You and me, adopted, children of God. Now, look, I'm not a perfect dad by any stretch, but I do love that little girl very much. There's nothing she can do to make me love her more. Nothing she can do to make me love her less. And it has nothing to do with her behavior. It has everything to do with her identity. She's a cooper. She's my daughter. I even make up little songs and sing them to her to remind her of that. Do you want to hear one? Me, 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 me. My voice has been going loud a little bit, so this might be, this might be, even worse than it was going to be without with a voice. So, so it starts this way. I'm your dad. I'm your dad. I'm your dad. You're my daughter. I'm your dad. Look, I didn't say it was Celine Dion here, all right? I didn't say it was, <laughs> I didn't say it was lyrically sophisticated or anything. I, I sing to her all the time. Like, you're my kid. You're my daughter. You're a Cooper. You have a new identity. I love you more than anything. Do you know that that's how God feels about you? Do you know that? He loves you more than anything. You are his beloved son or daughter because you're in Jesus with whom he is well pleased. Do you know that God even sings that stuff about you? Do you know that? It, like, I'm, I'm guessing his songs are probably better than that. You're like, God sings over me, really? Yep, Zephaniah 3.17 says God rejoices over you, over you with singing. Why? Because you're his beloved daughter, his beloved son, with whom he is well pleased. 
Just like I delight in that little girl, he delights in you as your heavenly father. He rejoices in you. He sings over you. He is your father, and because you are in Jesus, you are God's beloved child in whom he is well pleased. Now, that's pretty cool. And that plan there has been in the making for 4,000 years, just waiting on you. Would you pray with me? Just in the next moments, just maybe with head bowed and eyes closed, just kind of between you and the Lord here. There may be some of us in this place that need to own that new identity maybe in a fresh way today. You don't need to say this out loud, just kind of in your mind and kind of in your mind's eye and in your heart. Would you maybe just go to God and say, God, today I just claim that I am your beloved child and you are pleased with me. Not because of my behavior, not because I met your expectations, but because I am in Jesus. He is your beloved son, the perfect sacrifice, and you are well pleased with him. And because I'm in him, that's my identity too. Part of your family, child of God. Maybe just let that new identity saturate your soul just for a moment. Have you tried to find your identity in something else? Have you tried to hide behind something? Is your past shaping your identity? Is your vocation shaping your identity? Is your family or friends shaping your identity, your performance, even your own sin? In Jesus, that is not your identity. In Jesus, you are God's beloved son, daughter. You're God's beloved child with whom he is well pleased. And that's the gospel that was preached to Abraham beforehand. The gospel that we live and breathe even now. God, we're grateful today for your gift of grace to us. Grateful that we did nothing to deserve it so that it doesn't depend on us, but it depends on you. You fulfilled your, co- co- fulfilled your covenant, fulfilled your promise to Abraham, and you fulfill your promises to us. We're grateful, God, that we have a new identity, that our names are written in your book of life. Give you praise and glory now in Christ's name. Amen.